So if I asked you, do you have free will? You'd probably say, sure. I decide what I do when I decide to do it. But what if that wasn't the case? What if everything that you're doing, including the choice you've made to listen to my voice right now, was simply a reaction to your genetics and to your environment? My guest on the show this week is Professor George Paxinos. He is a leading global neuroscientist who studied at Berkeley, McGill, Yale. He's a professor of medical sciences at Neuro at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. George has mapped more parts of the human brain than anyone in human history. There's very little he doesn't know about brains and why we do the things we do when we do them. A passionate environmental activist, George has combined his enormous knowledge about human behavior with his deep desire to agitate for shifts in thinking around how we alter our environment with his thrilling new novel, A River Divided. He's an incredible human, and I can't wait for you to get to know him this week. Before we do, though, I'm going to play some ads because podcasts are free to listen to, not free to make, and I love to pay the fantastic people who help me make the show. So depending on how you're listening and where you're listening, you might hear some ads. If you do, thank you. If not, you're going to hear George. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Different environments produce different characters, even in identical twins. Okay, so the idea that I can control my own outcomes is, like, what, a, a bit flawed? I mean, I can change my environment. To want to change your environment the brain will make the decision on the basis of genetic endowment and the influence of the environment on that brain that molded up to today. So you are a slave. We are all slaves of yesterday. 
today is tomorrow's yesterday Oshra. And therefore, what you're going to hear today can influence your brain. And tomorrow, under the same circumstances, you might make a different decision. That is Professor George Paxinos bending my brain and yours. And there's way more of that on today's episode of Better Than Yesterday. G'day. Welcome. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and thanks for being here. This is a tri-weekly podcast that is just here to help make your day-to-day better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field. Each episode just here to give you a little bit of something to help make your day a little bit better. That's it. We've been here since 2013. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. My name's Osher Ginsberg. I am a... uh, podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a currently beautiful, beautiful spangly suit, take it off shouting kind of guy on TV. I'm a in-flight Wi-Fi user on a, I believe I'm, I'm a currently a Westgate freeway passenger. I'm uh, sitting in the back seat of a suburban side loader, the, the Kia Carnival. Uh, we drive into the city of Melbourne right now. What else am I doing? I'm a, I'm a box squatter. I'm a person who's counting down the days to revision surgery on his hip replacement. And I'm a multiple singer of happy birthday to Wolfie because it's our youngest's third birthday this week. So well, we had one at one cake and there's probably another one on the way. Uh, my name's Otto Ginsberg and I'm grateful you're here on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all the love around Dad Pod, which is the parenting podcast to do with Charlie Clawson. Fantastic episode this week. I'll tell you more about that later on. Also, hi to everyone that said g'day on Instagram. Thank you very much for the lovely, lovely, lovely words about The Masked Singer, uh, which is on uh, tonight. Again, it was on last night. It's on tonight again. Brilliant to hear from you. And it's I'm glad you're liking it because we do put a lot of effort into it and it's bloody good. You can find me there on Instagram or you can send me an email if you need anything. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's it. That's it. Uh, let me quickly tell you about my guest today as I, oh, there's a Ferris wheel. Oh, yeah, I'm in that part of Melbourne. Professor George Paxinos is a leading global neuroscientist. Now, he studied all over the world at Berkeley in California, McGill in Canada, Yale in the States, and he is a professor of medical sciences at Neura at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. George Paxinos has mapped more parts of the human brain than anyone in human history because he is, among other things, he is a cerebral cartographer, literally a map maker of the brain. George has identified and named more brain areas than anyone in history. In fact, only four years ago, he discovered an entirely new structure thought to be involved in fine motor movement, which he gave the snappy among brain experts name of endorestiform nucleus. Endorestiform nucleus. I don't know if there's Ewoks involved there. Because I guess, where are we without a map? We need a map to get to work, to get to school. I need a map to get around the supermarket, for goodness sakes. And when dealing with the human brain, understanding which parts might be working properly, working too hard or not working at all, these things have all been vital in, well, my own journey for sure of recovery uh, from complex mental illness and living with addiction, particularly around my dopamine and serotonin responses, my amygdala response, my fear responses. 
not only helping me understand, but also helping my doctors understand how these things weren't working properly. It helped me and my doctors find effective ongoing treatment and management of a brain that on one hand has given me the incredible career and the incredible life I have, but on the other hand has caused rather large problems for me in the past when it's out of control or certainly when I was trying to regulate it with drugs and alcohol, not actual treatment that works. George possibly has a better understanding of how we as humans react to our environment than anyone in the world and and indeed how in altering our environment we have changed not only our planet but also our ability to choose a different path around the altering of our environment. So to explore this concept after a career of publishing some of the most successful and most referenced scientific books of all time. George has written his first novel. It's called A River Divided, and it explores the, I guess, not too much of a stretch scenario that occurs when a geneticist, she clones Christ twice. She creates twins, twin boys. And the twin boys grow up in entirely different environments, one in middle-class Sydney, the other one in the slums of Buenos Aires. And we go from there. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Just a note, look, as we get into this conversation, even though we do approach the concepts through the lens of a clinical perspective, George and I do go into the territory of domestic violence, sexual abuse, and of suicide. Now, it is important that we do go there because all of those things, as horrible as they are, they are all actions that started as ideas in somebody's brain. And then understanding how brains work help us to maybe one day help prevent those things from happening. George is a fascinating human being. I'm, I'm so grateful that you get the chance to hear him speak today. Just a note about the audio. He is on the island of Ithaca in Greece when we speak. So there's an air conditioner in the background because it's quite warm there, as you've been seeing. And um, he's very far away, so there's a bit of a delay, but he's just a radiant, delightful human being. And I can't wait for you to get to know the extraordinary George Paxinos. George, it's so incredible to see you today. Where are you? Where are you in the world right now? Uh, on a mountain on Ithaca, uh, an island in the Ionian Sea. It's part of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and uh, the routine here is uh, you cycle, well, I cycle in the morning, then go for a swim. And I'm speaking to you now. Oh, hang on a second. You're on a mountain in Greece and you ride your bicycle, I'm guessing down and then up the mountain, go for a swim and then have breakfast and then hang out for the day? Uh, well, you sleep uh, the siesta uh, around uh, uh, three o'clock uh, because they tend to stay late here. Uh, so then you uh, can hang out until um, one o'clock in the morning. In the afternoon, it's hot. You are pretty much describing my dream my dream life too. I'm just going to show you what's hanging on my wall over here, George, because we're, see what's what, happening over there? That's my, uh, All right. <laughs> that's my, yes. I've just showed George my bicycle um, that I, I haven't ridden in a little while because of uh, what's going on with my leg, but I'm so happy. What do you like about cycling, George? Well, uh, firstly, uh, uh, every time I go in St. Daniel Park in Sydney, where I cycle daily, uh, I smile. It just, um, it's exercise, but a pleasurable exercise. 
swimming is nice too, but there you cannot put uh, uh, on a podcast and listen and have uh, uh, something else at the same time. Uh, and uh, much like the other exercise, of course, uh, it uh, uh, gets you in a reasonable physical state and it postpones your dementia. Nothing... Uh, you, you know, <laughs> The neuroscientists don't know many things. They actually have not cured any disease, but uh, they do know that physical exercise uh, postpones dementia. So it is walking, running, swimming, uh, rowing, cycling. Tell me, George, because I wonder if this is true for you, because I, I know what happens for me, but I'm interested. What happens to you when you have a problem you need to solve? And then you go for a bicycle ride. Tell me what happens. Uh, yes, I uh, find that the mind is uh, um, uh, more lucid at that time. Uh, somehow uh, I can uh, find a solution in, I used to be in running, uh, that I came up with some solutions that uh, were not tractable uh, when I was trying in my office. Yeah, so there is an opportunity in a different mindset to for some idea to come to you. Uh, I even dictate things on, on my iPhone uh, so that I won't forget them. I have that problem of getting a solution and then not remembering it. It's, it's so interesting to hear, you know, someone whose entire career, you know, first psychology and then the, the most successful brain mapper in the history of the, of the science to be describing how, do, how he uses his own brain in the thinking that he has to do. It's fascinating, mate. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, we suffer from uh, the same things as everybody. And uh, uh, the only nice thing I was told recently is that my brain has not shrunk as much as expected for my age. Uh, I volunteered for uh, an experiment that required my age cohort and um, that was the good news. So if there's one thing that I can wish to uh, your listeners is that they, their brain shrinks less than expected uh, for their age. And of course, neuroscientists have come up with some ideas uh, to, to avoid and, and no smoking, no excessive drinking, and attending to diabetes. And of course, uh, their weight, uh, their weight, not live on busy streets and breathing, exhaust, attend uh, to sleep apnea, avoid depression if they can do that. And exercise, of course, can help with that. Anything that you think that of that doesn't sound like a healthy thing, diet, for example, uh, all these things, uh, bad things are predictors for um, earlier onset of Alzheimer's than otherwise. Just consider either you or me, Osher, will be dementing at 85, 50% of the people. That's really, mm -hmm. it's a coin flip. Yeah, that's right. I have this idea that I want to go fit, 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 dead. I'm not interested in... Who are you? I'm not interested in that. And I, I've even told my wife, I said, the day I don't recognize you, don't worry about it. I'm gone. Yeah, exactly. That would be the ideal. The country itself would rather have you in that way, not to exhaust the health system, to keep going healthily and then <laughs> yes. go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I would like to know, George, 
Tell me about your relationship with rats. Hmm. Uh, yes, uh, uh, psychologists, uh, at, least, at least behavioral neuroscientists, principally they study the rat or the mouse and uh, they construct animal models of disease there. Uh, as a graduate student, I did my PhD on the uh, sexual behavior of the rat as well as um, uh, uh, neural factors controlling eating, uh, drinking, irritability, aggression. The rats are aggressive against mice. Uh, most rats will kill mice. Uh, and I was looking at neural mechanisms that control uh, these uh, behaviors. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, my relation with the rat was that uh, on a trip to Cambridge on sabbatical, I happened upon a stain that showed the brain as though it was a colored in book that was colored in already. Uh, and I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, I thought I would be able to do a better atlas of uh, the rat brain that what uh, was existing at that time, more accurate. Uh, and uh, at that time, uh, I was influenced by uh, something someone said, the gain in the brain is mainly in the stain. Uh, and I thought <laughs> uh, I'd be able to construct an atlas that would be useful to people, more accurate. And now it was early on, like, uh, in fact, 40 years this year, the rat brain in stereotaxic coordinates came out. Uh, and uh, being an atlas maker is not uh, always without shortcomings. I introduced myself to a lady at the neuroscience meeting not long ago, and um, she had used the atlas when it first came out to do her PhD on it. And uh, she said, George Paxinos, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Uh, that's extraordinary it's it's the most successful book in its field uh 40 years an incredible legacy what is it about uh rat brains that people who are studying human brains why rat brains why not chimpanzee brains why not goldfish brain that's right chimpanzee of course uh, would be far closer to us in fact there are no differences in the brain of the chimpanzee in areas, no more additional areas. There are no additional areas in the human brain that are in the chimpanzee brain. So to whatever else you might resemble the divine usher in your brain, you are made in the image of the chimpanzee. It is, of course, a smaller brain, 600 grams rather than 1,300 grams that our brain is. Uh, and it would be, of course, far closer and the uh, observations would be far more relevant and va valid, but um, uh, it would be uh, very unconscionable to work with a chimpanzee or for the things we do, for example, to isolate a chimpanzee. If you isolate the rat, you do not uh, see him lose weight. He doesn't seem to be depressed, mm. but if you do so into a primate, uh, like the monkeys, chimpanzees, then mm. you will see that. Uh, and we can study, scientists can study many things in the rat that they can then extrapolate to the human with, of course, follow-up observations. 
Uh, and what the, the scientists would uh, really love to do is to construct an animal model of disease, such as schizophrenia, depression, uh, Parkinsonism, uh, or um, uh, epilepsy. Uh, and once they have uh, the right model, be it genetic uh, or uh, environmentally caused with some drugs, then can see what can be given to this uh, animal to assist and then they can try the same thing for the humans and yeah. what we do is provide the maps so that they can navigate uh, seamlessly between the brain of humans and experimental animals to test hypotheses inspired by human considerations and then relate their observations back to the human it's really like uh, a ubd of uh, of a city uh, or um, if you want to elevate it, a Google map uh, in 3D in yeah. our case, because the brain is a yeah. three-dimensional object. I think about, you know, my rat, my brain, 1,300 grams is so different from a rat brain. But then when I think about some of the, some of the modeling, some of the mechanistic data that comes out of experiments on rats, you know, I mean, George, I'm, I'm 12 years sober now. And when I first read about the Skinner box, I was like, okay, yes. Like it made complete sense, complete sense to me that maybe I'm not that different after all. Maybe I'm driven by something not at all divine, just something's quite base, quite base. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the point of Skinner, and I had the pleasure of meeting him. I invited him to give a talk at McGill University oh. when I was, yeah, when I was a graduate student running the colloquium in psychology at McGill. Uh, and the point that he made is that uh, behavior is the outcome of two and only two factors, genetic endowment, over which, of course, we have no choice, and the environmental influences on it, uh, which is uh, whether your mother was smoking, whether uh, you were born uh, in this society or another society, whether they forced you in this religion or in another uh, religion. And consequently, uh, there is uh, no freedom uh, whatsoever. His book is beyond freedom and uh, dignity. That is, we are genes that are sculpted by the environment much uh, like, uh, well, in fact, I, I wrote a book that I th think you've come across, uh, A River Divided, which uh, is identical twins raised apart, and much like two different artists would sculpt different statues from the same block of marble, different environments produce different characters, even in identical uh, twins. Uh, so, uh, yes, this is what the psychologists uh, uh, say. By and large, I mean, there, there are some neuroscientists who have a different view and they think that there's a modicum of free will somewhere, uh, freedom light, uh, Coca-Cola light. Um, but by and large, neuroscientists think that we are the product of our genetic endowment and uh, our genes, and there's no crevice in the march, uh, genes, environment, genes, environment, for free will to wiggle in. Uh, okay, so the idea that I can control my own outcomes is 
by what a, a bit flawed. I mean, I can change my environment a bit. I've got lucky. I got born white, male, middle class, and I live in Australia, so I got really lucky. But some people aren't that lucky, George. Right, but the idea that you can change your environment uh, is uh, a, a very good point you're raising. But to want to change your environment, it, it has to, the brain will make that decision, and the brain will make the decision on the basis of genetic endowment, with some predispositions it might have conferred to you, and the influence of the environment on that brain that molded up to today. So you are a slave. We are all slaves of yesterday. Uh, the issue is that psychologists have, psychologists are clever. They have exploited this issue that today is tomorrow's yesterday, Osher. And therefore, what you're going to hear today can influence your brain and tomorrow, under the same circumstances, you might make a different decision. I, I can bring you an example of um, uh, an indication of lack of free will in one domain of life, in mm -hmm. love. Now, uh, in love, uh, you might have heard of people saying, I want to get rid of my love for this person, but I can't. Mm. Uh, am I correct? Have you he heard that? Maybe you have even felt it yourself. Oh, yeah. Like, say, for example, you're, you're with someone who you know is, I can relate. I've been in a relationship with someone who is completely inappropriate for me. I, it wasn't right. And it was very difficult to change my feelings for this person. Exactly. If uh, you had free will over the domain of love, uh, 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 then you should be able to just transfer your emotions to someone who is more appropriate. Uh, to you who feels the love, the, you've got the paradox of um, those who are abandoned uh, interfering with the person who abandoned them at their home, the internet, their work, they might hit her, they might kill her, they might commit suicide before they would accept the love of someone who loves them and forget about this person who it doesn't love them anymore. They also don't realize, because they haven't listened to the neuroscientists, that much like they cannot jettison a love that uh, torments them, the other person, the object of their love, cannot make themselves love them. Uh, love, uh, you fall in love. Uh, but and this is, of course, one domain, but if you look at other domains, who would not like to get uh, uh, rid of undesirable desires, of obsessions, compulsions. Uh, the puppet is free. We are puppets of our brain and we are free only to the extent that we love our strings, said uh, Sam Harris. <laughs> He's too young to be as clever as he is, George. Uh, he really is. <laughs> He's critical. Cruciatingly clever human being. But to come to the idea that there is no free will, where does that leave, uh, I guess, you know, entire nations that are built on self-determination? You know, what happens then? That's right. There will be cultures that will produce the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the time. Um, if I could give you, bring you an example of a country that, they followed the path which was destructive to them and to the rest of the world. Germany 
during the war, before and during the war, the same DNA, in fact, the same people, their children and many of the same people live now in Germany. And Germany is one of the best citizens in the world as it concerns the environment. And they have reneged on uh, the Nazi pa uh, past. Uh, so uh, you can uh, have uh, the environment induce certain things. If you and I were born in a country where uh, they stoned women for allegedly burning their holy books, you and I would have equal probability in participating in the stoning as people born there now. If we accept that, then it is an indication that we are products of our genes and our, our environments. And in these things, uh, you have the same genes in Germany uh, having different outcomes depending on the circumstances around them. So, yeah, the self-determination and all that, the tribalism... Uh, in many ways, uh, that is, uh, this tendency is, uh, many people have commented, of course, uh, evolutionary biologists uh, on these things, that uh, it was adaptive for the early stages of humanity when um, allegiance to the tribe will uh, give you the protection of the tribe. And now, of course, this is counterproductive and uh, you have the paradox of... Uh, a species that considers itself itself sapient, uh, sapient that is clever uh, to arm uh, with nuclear weapons that are capable of destroying the whole planet. Uh, Putin, Trump, uh, Kim Il Un. If we reflect back on the human, the only explanation I can uh, see is that really is that we are a primate that has a brain that is large enough to cause some problems, but not large enough to uh, understand uh, the problems. That is, our brain is not in the Goldilocks zone. You're familiar with the uh, concept of uh, the Earth being yes. in the habitable zone around the sun. Uh, but if our brain, uh, uh, the syllogism that uh, I have written in the novel that I wrote, is that if the brain were smaller than what it is, it would not have been able to produce the science that today uh, produce the technology that threatens existence. If, on the other hand, the brain were larger than what it is, it might have been able to understand the problem, even solve it. The brain is just not the right size. And I'm asking, shall we reflect on us? Who are we? Are we in, the, in delusion? to think that we have a soul, that we have free will, and we are made in the image of God. Is that perhaps a triple delusion that undermines any efforts that we should be taking to understand who we are uh, in the whole scheme and accordingly adjust our behavior? There's so much to unpack. Every sentence you say, there's so much to unpack, George. But I do, A River Divided is the novel that you wrote. And the idea of, like I think Stephen King, every every single book is in Bangor, Maine, all right? Because that's what he knows. He knows Maine. He knows all the weird places around Bangor, Maine. Your book is completely drawn on your entire wealth of knowledge about exactly what we've been discussing, genetics, uh, environment, 
brain mapping, you know, habitual responses and taken it to the extreme. And, and I guess I doubt the ethics, the ethics of what happens in the book might be a, a little beyond where we are now, but it's not impossible to conceive that there's a human cloning experiment. And these two kids are brought up in completely different um, uh, parts of the world with different opportunities. But then you have this chance to go, well, how can we take it one step further? And so what does a good Greek boy from the mountainside in Ithaca, Greece do when he's like, how can I make my characters have the highest stakes possible? <laughs> yes, well, indeed. It uh, asks a fundamental question. What would someone with the genetic endowment of Christ do if they were present today? Would he join Wall Street or street protests? And picking on Christ uh, was not um, just incidental. Uh, he's an important moral philosopher, possibly one of the best, or if not the best. And also uh, the uh, behavior of those immediately after uh, the early Christians is an indication of what might be needed to construct a sustainable society now. That is, you need a, a total uh, reshape, uh, a rethink uh, of uh, uh, religion, science, and culture. Uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, that is, we will not be able to travel around the world uh, because we pollute the planet. A society that will be sustainable will make the old Soviet Union uh, look like a libertarian society. Uh, it is going to be difficult. And I haven't heard this uh, actually said uh, uh, that, firstly, uh, the reproductive uh, cycle of the productivity of humans, that is, the, the uh, population will have to be looked at. And here, of course, we come, uh, science comes against religion. Uh, and if you thought that religion was treating women unkindly, spare a thought of how it is treating the environment. Uh, and uh, in my novel, I have a character who is actually deeply religious, uh, but he is organizing a protest against overpopulation in Argentina of that uh, deeply Catholic country. And he also asks uh, the question, uh, he, he produces two sets of people, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, on one hand, and on the other ha hand, Marie Curie, Nightingale, Mother Teresa, and he asks, what are the differences? What is a fundamental difference between uh, these two groups of people? And uh, of course, uh, he didn't want uh, superficial differences like good, bad, uh, or male, female. For him, what he was looking for was ordination. All three in the first group are entitled to apply to become priests. But in the second group, they need not apply. And the church, with its obsession with 
and all religions, not only the Christian church, with its obsession with sex, uh, considering that HIV is evil, but not as evil as prophylactics, they actually uh, resulting in overpopulation of the planet, help the overpopulation of the planet. Uh, and uh, uh, They are not uh, pulling their weight. They are really a force uh, that has to be overcome. It must be extraordinarily difficult as uh, someone who thinks about the world the way you do to see, we've just had, you know, the last few years of power of a, a deeply religious man in charge of Australia as a, a prime minister. And only a few short weeks after he lost his job, um, was on a, on a, uh, a pulpit going, you know, I, I believe that God will take care of it. And suddenly the last 15 years or whatever environmental policy makes sense to me. If you've got someone at the, t at the top job, who's like, it'll be fine. I've been taught it'll be fine. So it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Must but, tear your hair out. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, sure. I, uh, yes, I am even more upset with us who elected him. And of course, I can see behind that who, who is uh, uh, manufacturing the consensus to vote for those uh, people who bring coal to parliament. And if only koalas could vote, none of the Australian government, state or federal, would be uh, re-elected uh, in the wake of the largest fires on earth and uh, the expected almost certain that is loss of all corals in the Great Barrier Reef and elsewhere and the expected simplification of life in the oceans Australia remains the largest exporter of brown coal in the world, uh, coal that stokes the fires that burn us, and we are the first continent to be degraded by climate change. It is a paradox that we will join Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Brazil, and previously the United States to sabotage the international efforts to stabilize climate. You talked before about um, the idea that where our brains are identical to chimpanzee brains. So yes, they're bigger, but they're identical to chimpanzee brains. And this, the, the hubris of humans to go, we are made in the image of God, you know. There's also this hubris that we are separate from everything else on the planet. Everything else on the planet that exists in some sort of extraordinarily complicated <laughs> symbiotic system, but somehow we don't belong to that. And therefore, we make decisions outside of that. Paradoxically, that destroy our ability to live in it. <laughs> yes. Well, Darwin um, uh, should have uh, set aside human exceptionalism uh, because he pointed out that there is no special creation for humans. Uh, in fact, there was no creation, but evolution. Uh, and that... Um, we belong uh, to the primate uh, uh, group and uh, we have separated from the chimpanzee, the closest relative, about uh, five to seven million years ago. We are not descended from the chimpanzee, neither the chimpanzees from us. We are cousins, much like if you look at 
uh, the Greeks, for example, and you look at, compare them with the Norwegians, m- most of the time you'll say, no, this person is Norwegian, it's taller, blue eyes, blonde hair, more likely. Uh, and then if you compare the Europeans with the Asians, you'll find that uh, virtually always you can tell them apart. That's because they have divergent evolution in the last 20, 40,000 years. Well, if you extend that, uh, then there will be further drift and you create new species. Uh, our species specialization is uh, a larger brain. Scientists don't know exactly why, but we exploited a different way of making our living on the planet, of planning, working groups, you social animals, as uh, E.O. Wilson uh, named us, uh, that is, uh, we are social, you social uh, animals. Uh, uh, other species have also species spe- specializations like the giraffe that exploits the taller uh, aspects of vegetation, a longer neck. Uh, so uh, they can be proud of their neck, we can be proud of our brain, but we are part of this system. And evolution, of course, is evident even in up for, before our eyes, as in the virus, uh, the COVID, that is evolving as we see it right now. So we are a product of evolution, a part of it. Uh, and uh, unless we understand our place in this system and uh, uh, attend to, uh, to our behavior and uh, avoid this uh, hubris uh, that uh, we are made in the image of God, uh, my, uh, you know, the ancient gods were actually... Uh, more human, more reasonable. Uh, they didn't like humans who were comparing themselves to God. Uh, and I told my granddaughter of eight years of age uh, that uh, there was this king of Corinth who was punished by the gods to push a rock to the top of the hill only for it to fall down again and he would have to push it back the next day. This was King Sisyphus because he was narcissistic, egotistical, and insulting. And she said, like Trump. (laughs) She's eight. (laughs) She's eight, that's right. The, The idea that we spoke earlier that we are the product of our environment, have we set up a... Uh, a reinforcing negative loop of our behavior around exploiting our environment. Is there a way that, George, is there a way that we might be able to change things? Well, uh, yeah, the science is really the way out of these things on uh, how to assist humans to cope with uh, uh, what's happening. But the goals have to be set uh, and uh, we have against us uh, our genetic endowment that we are uh, principally favoring the tribe, nationalism you see in the ascendancy worldwide now, and the internet was, uh, was supposed to come and help and enlighten people is actually bringing the endarkenment. Uh, so, yeah, uh, science will uh, let us out of the pandemic, at least uh, assisted us to suffer least uh, uh, from the pandemic uh, than otherwise. And uh, uh, science 
will make mistakes, of course, it's not infallible, but it is uh, self-correcting. Uh, and uh, the Dutch do not trust the politicians to uh, stop the North Sea from invading them. Uh, they trust the engineers and they will have to trust science. Uh, this is really what uh, people say, most uh, scientists say, well, just see what works and the behavioral modification that will be required to produce a sustainable society for you and me to give up our car uh, and all of us get on the bicycle and to interfere with the reproductive cycle of humans, uh, it would be a, a huge. Uh, but whatever you're not allowed to do in um, your room in there, uh, like, like bring your car in there and you have exhausts, uh, you should not be allowed to do outside your room because your car's exhaust will get with someone else's uh, uh, car's exhaust. Mm. Uh, and uh, scientists can predict things and they be pretty accurate in uh, uh, predicting where we will be. And they tell you the steps are inadequate that are being taken. So what can we do, George? You mentioned the rise of, of tribalism, which is a nature of our, our genetic makeup, essentially. What can we do to challenge something like that? That's right. Well, firstly, to uh, say that I have no hope that humanity will be able to construct a sustainable society. But at the same time, there's nothing more important than try to achieve this. Certainly, a lot of humans will uh, respond if... Uh, they see the evidence. I mean, some will react much like uh, don't look up uh, the mm. uh, video, uh, that don't look up mm. at the obvious uh, thing, uh, but a number will respond to at least uh, uh, make a decent effort uh, to uh, inform people. At the moment, a large sector of the media uh, is actually propagating uh, falsehoods as it concerns the environment and uh, the uh, denigrating uh, the environmental scientists. Uh, the science is science and it's the same science that benefited humanity from the virus and medicine uh, in uh, environmental science. But they have uh, been uh, attacked uh, because, of course, the interests are uh, too strong. Um, $30 trillion locked up in uh, reserves of uh, oil, gas, and coal. And Australia, of course, uh, looking myopically uh, at the benefit from that, uh, rather than the fact that if those are burnt, then so is Australia. You've said you've got uh, no hope, George. So how do you look your granddaughter in the eye? How do you get through? Right. Uh, the issue with humans, I mean, this, uh, Osher, I had with me this uh, uh, view since the uh, 1970s. And yet uh, I reproduced. I'm happy when I see my daughter have a child. Uh, that is the, what works for us and what is uh, the most um, de depressing and problematic 
if something close to us, like a, a sliver under our nail is troubling us, uh, if our child is sick, these are the ones that will make me depressed. Nature has prepared us not to worry too much about the, our personal demise or about the planet's demise. What has prepared us to do is to grab all the uh, almonds from the almond tree uh, because you might not meet another almond tree. And if you grab them all, uh, then your family uh, will survive. And we are the children of those guys who didn't think of the world at large, but just their family. We survived. The other guys, we said, no, I'll just take a few almonds and let other people eat as well. Well, you know, they, they didn't uh, leave as many descendants. So, of course, there are tendencies in humanity also to be altruistic, and they have their, their hypothesis of how altruism is also passed through the genes. Uh, but certainly, by and large, uh, the conflict is between individuals, between nations, uh, can be better viewed, it makes more sense, uh, under the prism of uh, avarice uh, <laughs> that is, that is uh, wired up in us. You could have written your novel about about anything, two divergent pathways, uh, two different ways of being brought up with exactly the same genetic makeup. Why did you choose uh, an environmental message um, in the end? Uh, uh, right. Uh, well, they, uh, I needed the twins not to be settling the same house, and, uh, and I needed to show that there can be uh, adjustment in the behavior according to the environment that is, uh, in, in the sense, I mean, theoretically, you have two people with the genetic endowment of Jesus according to the heroine in uh, the book. Um, it's her view, who knows? Uh, and uh, uh, I wanted to show uh, the psychological influences uh, outcome on uh, behavior uh, psychologists know about uh, identical twins raised apart, what to expect about whether they'll be congruent, agreeable in certain behaviors or uh, disagreeable. For example, on the issue of uh, sex preference, if uh, uh, I am a homosexual and you are my identical twin, uh, then the probability of you also being homosexual is 50%. Now, that's very high genetic contribution. But at the same time, it shows that genetics are not the only determinant of behavior, but the environment has a large 50% role. So uh, I wanted to show that. I mean, it had to be a novel, uh, and I knew uh, some psychology, I knew some neuroscience. These are the things I knew. And while it is a hard task to write uh, fiction, to write literature, uh, I did have some benefit in that I knew something. And of course, I had to use what I knew in uh, the novel. Uh, so you will find a lot of uh, neuropsychology. Uh, you will um, see issues of uh, freedom that you mentioned earlier, uh, of uh, free will. Uh, and you will see yeah. that uh, the characters display no free will. Uh, and you will not miss the free will. You will not find them odd. Uh, they're just as any other character. 
Because it does fly. I lived in America for about 10 years. It really does fly in the face of like, uh, I, you know, I'm who I am because I am, you know, and I made all these choices and I've got a better outcome than the guy living on the street because I made all these choices. But I guess you're, you're trying to say it's like, no, you are who you are because you got born where you did by the parents you got born at the exact day, time, hour, minute, second in the exact location that you did. And the way that your life unfolded gave you what you got. Yeah, exactly. And, and indeed, this uh, can be demonstrated even in the life expectancy of people, native groups in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Canada, live uh, 7 to 11 years uh, less than non-natives in the same countries. And they contract dementia, Alzheimer's and other dementias uh, 11 years earlier. If that's not the condemnation of the society, then I don't know what it is. That is the most... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I was just up in Darwin, like like literally I got back from Darwin yesterday and the, effect, the just ravaging effects of colonization 252 years ago now are still evident. And it's just harrowing to know that a 48 year old man exactly the same age as me has such a less life expectancy than i and we live in yeah. the same country it makes it, it it's it's mind-boggling and it's not okay that's right um it, but that's hard for a lot of people to accept that's right in fact she mentioned the, the u.s when i was also for a decade in north america still up yeah. uh, i studied there uh, and when i came here the thing that made me the happiest was that the garbage men were white. Because in America, at yeah. five o'clock at Yale, the color changed from oh. white professors to black cleaning personnel. Uh, and Australia, uh, then I think was actually stronger 50 years ago, egalitarian, the yeah. uh, hello mate, uh, that yeah. mateship issue, I think, is an inst instantiation of the Enlightenment uh, uh, period of giving a chance. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the polarized more now, the, the rich have become richer, or more numerous of them, perhaps. Uh, and uh, I mean, you have the paradox of uh, high schools in the poorer areas of Sydney uh, introducing nobody to university from that cohort. That is, what the society has to attend is the disparity of income, because even for the function of the brain, and nothing is better than actually being born, would you believe, in a rich family. Again, why then should be such a disparity and the poor really be undertrodded? And the many reasons that the dementia will come earlier in the poor people, uh, less attention of the mother during pregnancy to check for diabetes gestational, uh, uh, less attention to nutrition, more knocks on the head, more alcohol for the mother or, or for the child afterwards, uh, uh, living in busy streets and breathing exhausts. All these things are predictors. So uh, the society has to look at uh, this disparity uh, and uh, again, in America, it was also color-coded. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's that way here too. Let's not think we're above that. Just taking a small little break, a moment away from George, 
Uh, we'll be back with him in just a sec, but I wanted to let you know that there is an ad-free version of this show. You can hear it at patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. That's where you can find it. Also, big love to everyone who's uh, been listening to Dad Pod. If you haven't heard Dad Pod, it's a parenting podcast. I do with Charlie Clawson. It's just a podcast made by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. And Professor Sharon Goldfeld is on our two professors on the shows this week. Good job, Bree, for booking excellent guests. Good job, Rachel, for booking excellent guests. Professor Sharon Goldfeld's fantastic. She has this whole chat with Charlie and I about, you know, what happens when your kids, you know, they do that thing where you're trying to get them to pee, you know, between the nappy and the toilet, you're trying to get them to pee in these two particular places and they just lock you square in the eye and just like pee on the living room rug, knowing what they're doing. Yeah, she's got a couple of interesting things to say about that, which is really helpful. If you need to get in touch with me, it's super easy. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com. That's where you can find me. We'll be back in a second with George. Might have to play some ads here. If you don't hear an ad, then great. If you do, great. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I've never spoken to anyone who knows not only so much about their brain, but I guess other people's brains, the actual anatomy of which bits. Oh, that'll that'll be my singular chord. Okay, no, that's an amygdala response. That's not a, ah, right. It's different for you than the other one, you know. What have you come to know about consciousness, your own consciousness, George? Right. Well, uh, consciousness is what the philosophers call the heart problem, that is, neuroscience will uh, tell you a lot about uh, uh, the brain and you can consider everything mechanistically. But then there's this issue of uh, if you have enough neurons, uh, you can fall in love. I mean, so that is a subjective state. Consciousness, nobody has given a good definition of it, but they've described it. It is something that we have more of when we talk to each other like now, something that we exile during sleep, something we have very little or none during em- embryologic uh, development, something that we are losing more and more during dementia. So you can see the complexity of consciousness diminish with dementia, the shrinking of the brain by uh, like an analogy, <laughs> so shrinks uh, consciousness to the point that a person doesn't recognize their friends, doesn't recognize their children. They don't recognize who they are. Their vocabulary is restricted and they then can't say anything. Uh, so uh, consciousness is, you can see it in us. You can also see it in the different scale, in the evolutionary scale, from us who display a complex uh, level of consciousness to the rat that 
displaced constitution, but not also complex to uh, the octopus, to uh, uh, some uh, beetles possibly. That is, you can find it certainly the chimpanzee is highly conscious and even self-conscious because they'll be able to look at themselves in a mirror and adjust things on, that you place on their head according to their image and they know it's them and it's not you that they're looking at. Uh, incidentally, I remember the time I saw myself in the mirror and I was convinced it was the other boy. <laughs> uh, uh, we didn't have mirrors or need like a, 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 not many at that time. They hadn't been exposed. I, I remember that. Uh, and I was walking, so it was not uh, too early. Uh, so, yeah, it, it takes a bit of time. And so we know what it is, but then how does that relate to what people used to call the soul? And uh, psychologists, by the way, don't use the word soul anymore. Since the 1930s, no academic psychologist uses the word soul. And it would be cruel if they were to, because if you are saying your behavior is the result of your soul, well, I mean, this, this child has bad soul, it, does, it doesn't yeah. work. You can say that uh, yeah. we can see if there's some abnormality with your hormones and we give you some hormones or whatever, but not the soul. Uh, and uh, they will use, of course, the word mind. And you might say, oh, well, that's convenient. You change the word soul for the word mind and you get out of it. Uh, no, yeah. uh, psychologists have to be accountable uh, to uh, that also. But they, they say, of course, psychologists, if the soul is where uh, stimulations become perceptions, where decisions are made, logic resides, love is manufactured, memories are stored, then there is no reason to hypothesize its existence because there is already an organ who performs these functions, the brain. Uh, and, uh, but they, again, they, they can't get out of this. Consciousness uh, is a yeah. big problem for neuroscientists because now you have just for a moment to digress into the robotics people uh, who artificial intelligence yeah. who are saying to you that more and more uh, we are getting uh, robots that resemble humans and soon enough they will feel love. Well, Osher, I have not seen a Mac computer fall in love with an IBM computer, not even with another Mac. Uh, it, it just, I don't know how that works. Uh, I am puzzled and I am not a religious person. Uh, but uh, there is something there that is not uh, accessible. We know that it's the workings of the brain mm. because when the brain shrinks, so does consciousness. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know how that is done. Uh, it's a mystery. Tell me then what, because well, I, 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 I mean, I find it fascinating that we have this brain that various cultures have found a way to induce this meditative state, whether it be through uh, various um, rituals or ceremony, uh, this meditative kind of trance-like thing that our brain can do. And there's uh, religious ways that can do it. And there's completely, you know, atheistic ways to do it. And that, but our brain can do this thing and we can put it into this state where it does stuff that it otherwise doesn't do. 
And I, I kind of find it interesting that that kind of got ritualized along the way. Yeah, well, the, of course, hypnosis is a phenomenon that psychologists study in uh, they explain some things about that, but uh, yeah, that uh, and the, these phenomena uh, uh, can be studied, and these approaches m- might be suitable for some treatment of something that you want to improve in your behavior. Uh, for uh, some people, the psychologists are experimentalists; they don't have a hang-up if it is hypnosis, but they certainly will not study any more uh, clairvoyance. Uh, or telepathy, uh, these things do not exist uh, as phenomena. Uh, There were decent efforts to study them in the 1930s, before the 1930s, and then psychology has abandoned them. Nobody of the grant-giving agencies in Australia and the US will give you funding to study these phenomena. The, The scientists have no confidence in these things. There are some things that do go on that we haven't yet explained. And I am a, I am a very, I'm a science guy, George. I, I 100% I'm a science guy. But there's, there's things like, you know, I'm not asking you for an explanation, but for example, when my grandmother died in 1992, I was working overnight. I was doing a job as a roadie for a band and it was three in the morning and I was sitting down watching television, just trying to relax, eating a sandwich. And I felt ants crawling over my skin. And I looked at the clock and it was seven past three. The next morning, the phone rang on a Sunday morning. It was my aunt calling to tell my mum that their mother had died. And it was right after 3 a.m. Now, I don't believe in an interventionist God. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Mm. But that happened. I'm fascinated to know what it was. I don't think it's yeah. something spooky. I don't think it's a yeah. spirit. Yeah. But there's something. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. I have friends uh, who actually likewise tell me uh, similar experiences that they dreamt that their father died and guess what? Their father died. I dreamt that my father died. He didn't die. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that there's some selection happening. Yeah. That is, of the 7 billion dreamers in the planet, because everybody dreams, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, some of the dreams will become reality the next day. And guess what? Who who goes on the media and say, I dreamt my father died and my father died? Uh, only those yeah. who became reality. Nobody will go on the media and say that I dreamt my father died and he didn't die. Yeah. That's not news. Yeah. So there is selectivity here. So psychologists will immediately check uh, the uh, conditions around that. Yeah. Now, the other thing is that before you look at the possibility of some transmission of the information through other things than telephone and things such like that, like that, to look at the mechanism that is that's possible. Darwin's theory of evolution was accepted rather readily by the scientists because he proposed a mechanism, natural selection. There's no mechanism yeah. that this will work. And psychologists tried this with putting people between walls and presenting to them cards and asking the person across to communicate and see if they can pass on the card that they see. It just doesn't work. And every time they tried, uh, you know, in a scientific way, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. George, you mentioned that you're not a religious person. 
Is there something that you, George Paxinos, is there something that you are in, in awe of? Is there something that you are reverent before? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm puzzled uh, about uh, our existence. Uh, in fact, that uh, I, I look at my grandchild, he walked through a room and ignored everybody and rushed to hug my legs. I mean, that is a beautiful feeling, but I don't know how it comes about. That is, uh, this is different than molecules, electrical impulses, uh, chemicals uh, in, in the brain. I know what parts of the brain are activated. Uh, uh, I know what drugs will activate similar parts some of the same, in fact, to actually give you this euphoria without the natural uh, event of your grandchild showing you affection. Uh, I know a lot of these details, but I am missing the big uh, picture. Uh, and I just uh, cope with that in the following way, that a cockroach will never ask the question, why did this apple fall on me and it didn't fall upwards? Uh, it certainly will not find the answer of gravity. That's because it has a small head ganglion, a small brain. And us too, we have a brain that can ask these questions, but it cannot uh, go beyond that. There are some questions that are difficult for it. As to whether there is uh, a divine, certainly uh, the ones that are on offer uh, are faulty, uh, are uh, deficient, and they are contradictory. Uh, uh, and if you really look at it, in some ways, everyone in the world is an atheist as it concerns the religion of the other person, the other religion. Uh, so even they, I mean, the Greeks here where I'm now, all of them believed in the 12 gods of Olympus. Oh, not, not all of them, but many of them. Uh, and now they believe in other gods. Uh, it, they, they don't believe in the other uh, in, the, uh, in the previous gods. Uh, who are the correct gods? Certainly what's on offer is uh, uh, not uh, logical and uh, expecting people to live after death. Just keep them alive now. Uh, why resurrect them? <laughs> well... The way that you seem to be going about things, George, uh, please keep up riding your bicycle up and down the mountain. Please keep jumping in the Mediterranean and please keep thinking in the directions you're thinking because we need brains like yours to help other brains learn how to be brains like yours. George, you're, I could speak to you for hours and I, I'm, as I said, not a religious guy, but I am all for the, the church of hugs, full stop. You give me a hug, I'm happy. Let's go. That's I'm the- here for that. Human connection. That's the most important thing. When all is said and done, because I can see now uh, life from uh, the rear view mirror. Uh, and I remember uh, the kids in high school that were fighting over this and that and the other and competing and uh, who is going to get into university and all that. Uh, at the end, uh, I see the families that uh, are hanging together, the friendships and love is actually more important than anything. And even uh, that, of course, uh, early upbringing can predispose you. So if, if I were to, to say anything, attend to your friendships, 
uh, you, you get from friendships what you invest in them. Uh, attend to your brother. Don't fight with them over property. It just will alienate you, uh, your children from their cousins and you from your brother. You'll gain far more than the material things that you might if you insist on your fair share of something. Amazing. A River Divided is the book. It's uh, one of the 57 books you've written. Uh, so there's plenty to choose from. Uh, George, um, thank you so much, mate. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And that, my friends, was George Paxinos. What an incredible human being. His new book is a novel. It's called A River Divided. Just get it where you get your books. He is a fascinating human being, a great Australian, and just a national treasure, like globally revered human being, but just a national treasure, an extraordinary man. Did you hear the joy in his voice? When I'm his age, when I'm in my eighth decade, that's the kind of morning I want to be having. Riding my bicycle a few kilometers down the hill to the beach, going for a swim, riding my bicycle back up the hill, having some breakfast, having a nap, and then talking to someone 30 years younger than me about interesting stuff, and then going to play with my grandkids. I mean, <laughs> that sounded pretty perfect, right? Wow. Thank you so much for being a part of it. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Big thanks to everyone that helped me make the show today. Thank you to Bree Steele on research and support, Toe Heider who made all the music, Andy Marr who cut everything together, and Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of, of a lot of it. Until I speak to you on a Wednesday, look after yourself, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things.